Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on cultivating a heart for God. Well, we're on our second week in our Easter series that we're entitling Cultivating the Heart. And as you remember, last week we talked about sowing good seed and guarding against pests and plague with your heart for God. And we had that verse, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Say that with me twice. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And tonight we're going moving into a second, a second uh, portion of this when we talk about cultivating our heart and guarding our heart. The first thing we realize is is that I'm not starting with the brand new heart. I am not starting uh, with a brand new life just coming off the assembly line, all shiny and new. There is a lot of rubble. If we continue the figure of a garden, there are rocks and thorns or things that aren't the way it should be if we haven't been uh, taking care of it as we should. And so the first order of business is to clear away the rubble, to have a time of, of cleansing and plowing up. So we're going to switch our figure just a teeny bit, but we're going to talk about how God can clean our heart how God can clean our heart. And first we want to just make the observation that in your Christian life that you can see yourself in the Bible. In fact, many times you have seen yourself in the Scripture. In fact, many non-Christians see themselves in the Scripture. I've heard uh, several non-Christians say they could fully identify with Jesus, how he suffered for righteousness' sake in a cruel world, and they, they just can, they feel like that's me. Everybody's out to crucify me. Then you uh, maybe are involved in church and you become a member and you sort of can relate to those disciples as they're trying to follow Christ and they make their mistakes. You say, I'm just I'm another one of those disciples. Later on, maybe you feel like you can relate to Peter because you have tried to share your faith and then you chickened out or something like that and you ended up denying your Lord. And, and maybe even you can relate to David when he fell into sin even though he loved God so much but sometimes he really blew it big and, and maybe you can kind of see yourself in the person of David. Funny thing is later on in your Christian life uh, as the Holy Spirit works on you and tenderizes your heart you get to where you can kind of relate to Esau who sold his birthright for just a bowl of stew. For a moment of pleasure he gave up something very valuable and maybe that has happened in your life at some point. Perhaps you can see yourself in Saul the king in the Old Testament who was overly sensitive and proud and often relying too much on his own strength and his wisdom. And I think many times uh, a mark of maturity is that you can even recognize yourself in Judas, uh, sometimes having, in a sense, betrayed the Lord for something uh, completely not worth it. Nothing could possibly be worth it. But the Bible is like a mirror, and we can see ourselves in it in many ways. And as we grow, our understanding and who we identify with in the Bible also develops. Tonight, we want to take a look at just such a case in this passage that talks about Jesus healing the leper in Luke chapter 5. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, I think there's a pew Bible there. If you'd like to get that out, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke 5, verses 12 through 16. 
And this is where Jesus is healing the leper. And all the way through what we talk about tonight, let's remember that leprosy is a figure or a symbol for sin. All of these stories that were in, these, in the gospel accounts, uh, they, they supposed they were, each one was used as a, as a teaching tool to present the gospel. So whether it be the paralytic being lowered down through the roof and, and just that shows our inability to save ourselves and how intercessory prayer of others can help us. Also in this, this uh, story of the healing of the leper, there are also things that we can see about ourselves. And uh, leprosy, as you will see, is a particularly apt figure or symbol or picture of sin in our lives. Let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The phrase we are going to take with us tonight is, Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Forgive me for treating you as children. Would you say that with me twice? It helps us to remember it. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Let's make some observations here on this passage of what we have just read. The first thing was, well, this is recorded, by the way, in two other Gospels. So it's obviously, it was a very moving story and something that really stuck in people's minds. That it was, It's in almost all four Gospels. And Matthew 8 and Mark 1 also tells about it. But it tells us of his sickness. He was covered with leprosy. This wasn't just a little spot. This wasn't just a larger spot on his arm or just on the back of his neck or something. He was covered with leprosy. Second, we see his attitude, that of humility and faith. He doesn't come demanding. He says, what kind of a, a servant of God are you? And what kind of a God do you serve that would let me get sick like this? He, it says he comes, he falls down on his face. He begs him, he says. He speaks to him respectfully. His attitude of humility and faith. Third, we notice what he, what he asks for because we, we realize he's got a sickness. But what does he ask for? Well, first we see what he doesn't ask for. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't say, well, I am sick, but I'd really like a lot of money. He doesn't ask for intelligence, for social status. He doesn't ask for a job. Do you, is there anybody you could talk to that could get me a job, even though I'm a leper? He doesn't even ask for a wife or a family. And he doesn't even ask to be healed. But he uses the term instead to be clean, to be cleansed, because that's how the Jews understood leprosy, it was an uncleanness, spiritually and physically. On, in the fifth observation, Jesus healed him, not by saying the word, but by touching him, which was very significant, because one thing you didn't want to do with a contagious disease, which they thought leprosy was, was touch him. Talk to him, keep him about six feet away, but don't touch him. You know, you tell your kids, don't go shaking hands with lepers. 
if they come, you go the other way. You just didn't touch lepers. And so it's very significant that Jesus chose to heal the leper by his touch. Lord, you can make me clean. And then he gives him a command. He just asked one thing of him. Now, the lepers come and asked one thing of Jesus, and Jesus did it. He comes and asks, Jesus asked one thing of the leper. What did he ask him? Don't go tell anybody this. Well, the man in his enthusiasm didn't obey Jesus. He went out and did the opposite. He went and told everybody. And as a result of that, if you compare the different gospel accounts, you realize this disobedience of the man had the result that others missed out on the blessing because the crowds got so big, Jesus couldn't just easily go into the cities anymore because he'd sort of be mobbed. And he wasn't going just to heal people. He was going to give a message. Uh, but if the mob gets too uh, big, you can't give the message. There's just sort of a, a danger of people getting trampled and all the problems that come with, with uh, mass enthusiasm. But because that man was disobedient, others missed out on a blessing. Jesus' response, it says at the end, was he withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It doesn't say that he goes back to the man and says, now what did I tell you? I told you not to say anything and, you, and look, look at this, uh, you got your leprosy back. Now, you know, we might have been tempted. To, uh, you, you asked me and I did what you wanted me to do and then I ask you one thing and you don't do it. But it says that Jesus just went and prayed and didn't seek to punish the man. Lord, you can make me clean. Would you say that with me two more times? Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Let's talk about leprosy in the Bible. Leprosy is the oldest recorded disease in the history of mankind, and it is one of the most feared. In your Old Testament, there are two whole chapters devoted in Leviticus to the topic of leprosy. Number, uh, Leviticus 13 and 14, and they're long chapters. Leviticus 13 is 59 verses long. Leviticus 14 is 57 verses long. Now, a very important uh, thing in, in the book of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. The whole chapter on the Day of Atonement is only 34 verses long. There are four times more verses about leprosy than there are about the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus. Some of the things that it says in Leviticus, in verse, chapter 13, verse 2, for example, it says, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a bright spot on his skin that may become an infectious skin disease, he must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. Other translations use the term leprosy there, but all the way through, this is talking about leprosy. Verse 8, it says he goes to the priest who is going to examine him, and if, if the rash has spread in the skin, he shall pronounce him unclean, because it is an infectious disease. In Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, it says the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt or messed up. He should cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So let's look at what were the implications then. What was this leper's life like 
that Jesus healed. There were physical ramifications. As far as they knew, there was no cure to this disease. Secondly, it was a gradual death. Turns out it wasn't necessarily very painful, uh, but there was a great sense of loss in every way. Secondly, emotionally, it would be terrible for your self-esteem. Uh, you think, you know, you had trouble in, in middle school when you broke out with acne. How about if you broke out with leprosy? I mean, maybe you felt like they kind of treated you like a leper in middle school. But terrible, terribly humiliating. Oh, there goes, he, you know, no longer are you, John, or Mary. It's the, the leper. It says that uh, also emotionally, because it was considered, and several times in, in the Bible, uh, there are a couple of cases, and several times it's, it's because God is punishing people. And so you would probably assume if you had leprosy that God was punishing you. So not only are you rejected by the people, you feel rejected by God. You feel he doesn't love you. There were social implications for this man, for this leper. It was worse than AIDS or cancer because it was considered highly contagious. Now, even telling people, no, AIDS is only contagious in these kind of situations that you're not, that's not what you're worried about anyway, people still are really scared about it. What if cancer was contagious? I mean, what, I mean it's, it's tough enough, I'm sure, having a terrible disease like that, but what if on top of that nobody wanted to even be near you? You had to dress with torn clothes. The reason they dressed like that is it, that's how you dressed when you were in mourning. How you'd go to a funeral. Whose funeral? Your funeral. You're supposed to go around the rest of your life with mourning clothes on for your own funeral. You're the cadaver in process. You had to stay at least six feet away from everybody. Talk about need somebody needing a hug. And you had to you, you had to live outside the camp live by yourself or if you found some other lepers to live with just that tremendous sense of loneliness of rejection and if anybody would start coming near you you couldn't say hi John you had to say unclean unclean in the Middle Ages they had a bell they had to ring too and then spiritually uh, the sense of rejection by God the sense of being cursed and they were never allowed to attend worship services in the temple or to bring any sacrifices. I mean, it was almost like they were dead, and yet they were still alive. Amazing what this man who came to Jesus, uh, if he could have just talked to us for a couple of hours, what he would have said of the pain in every way that he had gone through. But Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. I want to show you the other seven times it talks about lepers in the Bible, just in passing. There was the time where Moses is asking for a sign, well, how's Pharaoh going to know God sent me? And God says, well, put your hand in your jacket like Napoleon and pull it back out, and it's covered with leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out, and it's healed. Then his sister Miriam uh, rebels against Moses' leadership, and God strikes her with leprosy and then later heals her. A man named Naaman, the commander of the king's army of Syria, in 2 Kings 5, is healed by Elisha. And Elisha won't take any payment for it. 
And so Naaman, the, the commander, leaves, and Elisha's helper, Gehazi, thinks we have just lost a great opportunity. So he runs after Naaman and he says, my master changed his mind and uh, we just had a couple of visitors show up and we really could use two bags of silver and a couple of changes of clothes. Now the guy had brought much more than that, so that was just a small portion of what uh, the commander had brought. So uh, Gehazi was just getting a, a little bit, you know. So Gehazi comes back, hides it in his tent and goes in back into Elisha's presence. You gotta read this sometime. And, Geh and uh, Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi says, oh, nowhere. And Elisha said, did, my, did not my heart go with you when you chased after Naaman's chariot and when you received that and when you came back to your tent and when you hit it? And uh, Gehazi at that moment was struck with leprosy for the rest of his life. A fifth example is the four lepers when the nor this northern kingdom of Samaria is under siege by the Arameans in 2 Kings 7. And God scares off all the Arameans. The, the people in, in the city of Samaria have just about starved to death. And there are these four lepers at the gate that don't know anything that's going on. They thought, well, let's go on over to the enemy. We're going to die here anyway, and they won't receive us into the city because we're lepers and we're hungry. And we'll go to the Aramans, and they'll either say, oh, it's okay, have something to eat, or they'll kill us. But either way, you know, we're tired of waiting around. So they go over there, and there's nobody there. There's just all the food, and they go from one tent to another eating and, and then getting treasure and going and burying it. They do this for a couple of hours, and then they think, you know, if people find out that we didn't go tell anybody, they're going to get us. So they go and yell up to the wall, hey, you know, the enemy left. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about tonight. I just want to give you just a little glimpse of how this is traced through the Bible. In, chapter, in uh, the sixth one is King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26. He gets into his mind, I don't want to just be king, I want to also see what it's like to be a priest. And that was a big no-no because the only people that could be priests were those that were the descendants of the tribe of Levi. And the only ones that could be kings were the ones, the descendants of David and Judah, two different family lines. But uh, Uzziah goes in and gets a censor and the, and the priest is saying, this is a bad idea, this is a bad idea. And he, he says, well, no, I'm the king and I can do anything I want. And as he's standing there with the incense censor, smoking as a symbol of prayer, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. And all the priests, horrified, stand back and, and they hustle him out of the temple and everything. And Uzziah was a leper till the day he died. You perhaps remember Isaiah 6 when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's the king that was a leper. And finally, the healing of the ten lepers where only one comes back to give thanks. And the one that does come back is a, is a Samarian, Samaritan. excuse me. Now let's look a minute at what is the nature of leprosy. I got some wonderful pictures. I didn't, I'm not going to give you the best pictures because I just figured it might be too much. But what was or what is the nature of leprosy? I was talking to my mother on the phone today and she said she will never forget as a child at a birthday party, they showed Ben-Hur. And she saw the lepers and Ben-Hur. I mean, they're just people with cloth wrapped around their hands. You know, I mean, it's, they don't really show anything. But she said she walked around in fear for the next two days. She was just sure a leper was going to jump out and grab her. I mean, this is the kind of thing that for thousands of years has invoked fear. Now, the common day term for leprosy is Hansen's disease, 
because it was discovered by somebody of that name in 1873. Leprosy usually starts out as just a patch on the skin that's desensitized to pain, touch, or temperature. It was the first bacterium to be identified as causing disease in man. So this was very historic that in 1873 they found this. Leprosy is contagious, but it is not widespread because 95% of the population have immune systems able to cope with the bacteria. So it's really not that contagious, unless you're one of those 5%. The nerves near to these patches that, that, that you're seeing there um, are desensitized and the joints are swollen when they're affected. Now I've got a book here that helped me a lot on this. Excellent book called Where is God When It Hurts? Anybody read this book? Philip Yancey uh, talking about the problem of pain and he's got a tremendous section on, on leprosy because he went to a leper colony in Carville, Louisiana, I think it is, to interview this man, Dr. Brandt, that had worked for all these years with, with leprosy patients. And he said what they discovered was that it works prim that leprosy works primarily like an anesthetic, attacking the pain cells of hands, feet, nose, eyes, and ears to produce numbness. Now, all the way through this now, we're thinking about what does this have to do with sin? And how does that relate to us? Dr. Henry Brandt worked with leprosy patients and says, at first, we assume the disease worked like a fungus, destroying tissue indiscriminately. But he eventually learned that leprosy was chiefly anesthetic and only indirectly and a destroyer. How could that be? They would watch people and somebody would uh, grab something very, very hot and they'd burn their hand but they didn't feel it. And so even though the hand would get blisters on it and be all swollen and infected, it didn't hurt. And so they would keep using it as though it weren't hurt. And the more they continued to use it, the more tissue damage there was. That's how they uh, end up losing their fingers. But uh, you, you just begin to lose the extremities of your fingers, your toes. It also affects your eyes because since you're uh, your eyes lose sensitivity, they can't feel when they're dry, and so you forget to blink. And so they dry out, and that's why leprosy patients go blind. It's like sin and its ability to desensitize us. I'll never forget reading in Time Magazine one time where they asked the, they were talking to the publisher of a huge empire of pornography, without mentioning his name, but he, he mentioned that he had been raised Catholic. And they asked him, well, do you ever go to confession? And he says, what for? I don't have anything to confess. Sin, like leprosy, has a way of desensitizing you to the true nature of your condition. But God has a way of restoring that sensitivity, particularly in times of revival. And I just want to share with you uh, out of this book on Revival Fire by Wesley Duell, two stories about a time in around 1850 or late 1840s. This is, late, this is the 1850s, just before the Civil War, as a matter of fact. But there was a tremendous move of God at that period of time. 
And it wasn't just in church meetings. It wasn't just in the United States. Listen to this. It says, A canopy of holy and awesome revival influence, in reality the presence of the Holy Spirit, seemed to hang like an invisible cloud over many parts of the United States, especially over the eastern seaboard. At times this cloud of God's presence even seemed to extend out to sea. Those on the ships approaching the east coast at times felt a solemn, holy influence over one, even 100 miles away without even knowing what was happening in America. Revival began aboard one ship before it reached the coast. People on board began to feel the presence of God and a sense of their own sinfulness. The Holy Spirit convicted them and they began to pray. As the ship neared the harbor, the captain signaled, send a minister. Another small commercial ship arrived in port with the captain and every member of the crew converted in the last 150 miles. Ship after ship arrived with the same story. Both passengers and crew were suddenly convicted of sin and turned to Christ before they reached the American coast. Lord, you can make me clean. God can restore our sensitivity with the leprosy that can afflict our hearts, that has afflicted our hearts. In Ireland, in the same period of time, it said one, one day in mid-April, a 30-year-old man suddenly fell on his knees in the street, crying out in agony as if someone had attacked him. People came running from all directions, expecting to find a victim of crime. For 10 minutes, he called out, unclean, unclean, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The awesome fear of God fell upon the people. So let's draw out the, the, the parallels now between leprosy, physical leprosy, and spiritual leprosy, or sin. The first thing we notice about leprosy is it's a sickness. It's not just an alternative form of health. You're not well. In the same way with sin, something is not right. It's not a problem of definition, so it's just you all are being too strict or uh, being too prudish. It's something is wrong. Something is really wrong in the human heart. You know, for a for hundred years, in the 1800s, the, the theologians were trying to basically come up with the idea and promote the idea that man is basically good. And they just about succeeded until World War I and World War II hit and pretty much turned the tide because they looked evil right in the face and realized, we, we cannot deny this. There really is evil. Something is desperately wrong. There is sin. There is a sense of there's something desperately wrong with the human race and with our own hearts. The second thing we notice about leprosy is that it's anesthetic. It's not a fungus that eats away things. It it's a, has a deadening, numbing effect. In Hebrews, it talks about how you can uh, let us encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That desensitizing effect that you no longer are sensitive to God's will, to God's holiness, to righteousness, to right and wrong. And in our own hearts, the leprosy of sin causes a loss of sensitivity to what is wrong in our lives. We, we're still very sensitive to what's wrong in other people's lives. In fact, we get better and better at it all the time. 
our spouse, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our co-workers. We're very, very sensitive to their sins. The desensitizing is with regard to our own sins. And because we lose that sensitivity, that often can lead to destructive decisions and behavior. The devil doesn't have to mess up our lives by having our thinking clouded and our heart desensitized. We make decisions and we do things and we say things uh, that already bring loss and destruction in our lives. Not that we were meaning to, but we just didn't feel it. Just like the leper who would keep uh, touching that hot stove with his infected hand and finally not have any fingers left, Again and again, the person with the leprous heart makes bad decisions and suffers for it, but still can't seem to learn from that to not do it anymore. We also notice that leprosy is degenerative. It gets worse and worse, just like sin. Sin also gets worse and worse if unchecked. That's why our, our talk last week, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And because it is degenerative, there is a loss of valuable parts of your life. It is disfiguring. Sin, just like leprosy, is very disfiguring. Maybe somebody started off and they were a beautiful young person, and now you've watched them, and it's 10 or 20 years later, and the lines are etched in their face, uh, their life is a shambles, uh, their, their married life is a shambles, their, their kids are a shambles, their finances are a shambles, Sin is a degenerative spiritual disease. We also see that leprosy is an isolating kind of a condition. The person ends up more and more alone. Sin has that same effect in our lives. It breaks down and destroys and attacks our ability to relate to other people because of not knowing about how to resolve conflict and how to build intimacy and how to overcome uh, the barriers that separate us from people. So sin also leads to loneliness and superficiality. And finally, leprosy, as we saw before, affects the whole life of a person. And sin also, the leprosy of the heart, affects the whole life of a person as well as eternity. And if we go back to that beginning, when it says that leprosy is a sickness and sin is a sickness, it says something is not right. You see, our world tries to handle this in a different way. They will also admit something is wrong. But they would say, no, the problem is you drew the lines on the basketball court too small, and that's why I keep going out of bounds. Why don't we move this line over there five miles, and they just move all the lines and say, now I can throw it anywhere I want. It won't go out of bounds. Finally, it goes out of bounds again. They say, well, why do we need a line anyway? Who, whose idea is this of the line? And so they live with no lines. As we'll see next week, nevertheless, you reap what you sow. And you break God's laws, and they break you. Something is not right. So in, in conclusion, in summary, this is a picture of our condition. You and I, the Bible teaches, have a tremendous, a terrible illness a type of spiritual leprosy called sin. Not only that, it's something that makes us insensitive if left unchecked. We're sensitive, very sensitive to the sin in others, but less and less sensitive to the sin in our own lives. 
And this sin can leave us disfigured and ugly. We end up being self-destructive without even meaning to be. But Lord, you can make me clean. Say that with me a couple of times. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. As I said, the Bible says we're all, in a sense, spiritual lepers, and we need cleansing. When we see that story about Jesus, we shouldn't just think, oh, that poor wretch. But we should think, that's me. That's me realizing that in Jesus I have an opportunity. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Bible says that spiritual lepers can't go to heaven. Sinners cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And true assurance of salvation doesn't come from thinking, I have tried my best, and that's got to be good enough. I've talked with a lot of people in the last 30 years. Two of the questions I asked them, and if we talk sometime, who knows, maybe I'll ask you. Maybe you'll ask me. Maybe beat me to the punch. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where if you were to die tonight, you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And the second question is, if the person responds, yes, if God were to stop you at the door and ask you, why should I let you in, what would you say? Now, I asked one elderly couple that about seven years ago, so I'm not talking about anybody here, and some of you have heard this story, but the, the wife had been very ill. She was up in years and had had some sickness, and I asked them this and she said, oh, I, I, sure, I would go to heaven. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And if God were to ask you, why should I let you in, what would you, what would you say? And she says, well, I've worked all these years in the education of the children in Argentina, and I've just really tried hard, and I'm sure that's enough. There was a moment of silence, because I had to decide how much I was going to bite off in the conversation. But... After a pause, I said, that's interesting. Uh, do you realize that the Bible teaches that anyone that answers the question that way, it's almost for sure they're not going to heaven? You could have heard a pin drop. Uh, it maybe was a little, even almost rude to say it. But it was maybe the last time I'd have a chance to talk with them, and so I thought I'd at least give it a chance. And I said, would you like me to share with you what the Bible says, how you can know for sure that you have everlasting life? And so she sat there on my left, and her husband, who hadn't hit me, sat there on my right, and we looked at the plan of God's salvation, how we have a sickness that we cannot cure, and we cannot explain or define away or wish away, but that God sent Christ to die for our sins, and as we put our trust in him, Christ's death is enough for us to pay for our sins, and to give us that righteousness. Lord, you can make me clean. And through that blood of Jesus Christ, he can wash away our sins. The solution is to recognize our problem and cast ourselves on the Lord. 
And after we talked with this, uh, I talked with this couple, and we looked at all these Bible verses, they said they wanted to pray and make sure that they had put their trust fully in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And we prayed together and said amen, and the husband looked at me and he says, man, it is a good thing you came by tonight. All my life I thought it had to do with how good I had been. It's a good thing you came by tonight. Now, isn't it interesting for those of you that this is old news. It's very good news, but it's old news. You have embraced this truth long ago. And Jesus gave us a great commission, didn't he? He touched us and made us whole and cleansed the leprosy of our heart. And then what did he say? Go and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, the, the leper, he said, now, you don't go tell anybody. And he did. To us, he said, you go tell everybody. And we don't. Now, it's easy to think of that leper. He told you not to tell anybody. You know what the leper's shouting from heaven right now? He told you to tell everybody. May God help us to learn what to say in simple, kind, clear language. And to get that message out, Lord, you can make me clean. And if you're not fully sure tonight that you have put your trust only in Jesus Christ to cleanse the leprosy of your heart. Let tonight be the night that in your heart you express that to God. Lord, you can make me clean. There's another case, maybe you're a Christian, but you feel under a burden of guilt for the sin that you are struggling with. Sin doesn't go away. The struggle with sin does not go away when you've asked Christ into your life. Maybe you'll get a short reprieve and feel like you're floating on air, and maybe you won't. But even if you do, for a while, this Sunday, your feet hit, and, and you trip, and you fall, and you fail your Lord. And maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and it wasn't just once. There was a lot of stumbling and bumbling and failing the Lord, and you can certainly identify with Esau and Saul and Peter and Judas and everybody, <laughs> the whole lineup. But Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Lord, you can make me clean. Maybe you come with this burden to church and you think, well, I'm just, I don't even know if I should even be here. Tonight is the night to look away from yourself and look up to God and say, but Lord, you can make me clean. It's a different figure. It's not just where you can forgive me. Clean. What a good feeling to be clean. When you've washed your hair with the shampoo two times, you know, and it squeaks. So clean. Uh, when you wash that little baby, you know, and you get them all, they've been suds and they've been playing in the bath, and they get up, they are so clean for about five seconds. And that deep desire of the heart to once again be clean, as you sense that creeping leprosy, that desensitizing, that spiritual dirtiness, to turn back to him and say, Lord, I can't get into just guarding my heart. My heart's already messed up, but Lord, you can make me clean. He can touch your life, even tonight. Just as such a simple thing. Others would have said, well, Jesus is touching the leper, a bad idea, but well, what good is that going to do? Made all the difference. His whole life was changed. 
Do you realize just by that touch of receiving his touch tonight in your heart by faith, you can be cleansed, and God will give you another chance. Maybe you feel like your problem is even bigger than that. You've had some huge defeat in your life. This isn't just a little normal stumbling and bumbling along. Uh, you've had an atom bomb. This wasn't just a firecracker or a, uh, singed your eyebrows. You about blew your head off. It was so bad. It left you so depleted, feeling so second class, so unworthy, so despairing. It could be a huge moral failure. It could be a divorce, a bankruptcy, even a crime an abuse committed on you or that you committed. It may have been mostly someone else's fault, but it's deeply scarred you nevertheless. Or maybe it was because of your own bad choices. But it's done now and the shame and the sense of loss are at times overwhelming in your life. But Lord, you can make me clean. I'm hoping that if that is your case tonight, that God is going to plant a seed of hope that will germinate in your heart. Because this, this, this leper that came is more like you than anybody else. Why? Because he was covered with leprosy. He didn't say, well, I'm 99% clean, Lord, but I do have this one spot. And because the rest of me is still clean, would you clean that one too? He had no clean spot. Everything was covered with leprosy. He says, I have nothing good to bring you. My clothes are torn. My family's gone. I'm sick. Nobody wants me. But Lord, you can make me clean. I was at a crusade about four or five years ago. And throngs of people there in Argentina. I was at the same place in this large tent every night. And I saw a number of young people, and one girl in particular who I felt was dressed sort of inappropriately for a, a religious activity, kind of sensually, probably 20-ish. And I thought, boy, the youth groups just are not teaching people how to dress modestly and stuff like that. Well, two or three nights later, at one point, this same girl is up on stage. And she said, I'm a prostitute. And I've received Jesus Christ into my heart. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Well, maybe you can't relate to anything we've said tonight. Could it be that your situation is the most serious condition of everyone here? Could it be that you have such a severe case of spiritual leprosy that you have steered your conscience? Would God want to touch your heart tonight and make it sensitive again to what grieves him? Sin is degenerative. It is progressive. And as you look back over your life, it could be that you realize, well, there has been a progression. I've been thinking I'm just becoming more open, more tolerant, more a person of the world in the right sense. And now you 
say things you wouldn't have said before. You use language now that you wouldn't have said before. You watch movies now that you wouldn't have said, wouldn't have watched before. You go to places you wouldn't have gone before. And you're thinking, well, I don't want to be too strict. And you drift and you drift. And people say, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Leper. Rotten and decaying, the loss of sensitivity in your spiritual being. But Lord, you can make me clean. Maybe tonight you realize I've become desensitized. My heart is hard. Yes, I know the religious things, the right things. God wants your heart. He wants a heart that, has, that is clean, and you can't clean it. But Lord, you can make me clean. God can touch you tonight exactly at the point you need it. You know, this isn't just something for, for the 15-year-olds. And 15-year-olds shouldn't think, oh, this is just for the 60-year-olds. And 60-year-olds shouldn't think, oh, this is just for the 35-year-olds. This is for everyone. Lord, you can make me clean. Is God speaking to you tonight? You know, the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. And in a very special way, Jesus is present here tonight. And for everyone who really believes and approaches him the same way that this leper approached him, and cries out to him for mercy. Lord, you can make me clean. Do you realize that he will touch your heart tonight? Something can happen as you put your faith in him according to what your need is, to what he has shown you. No one else knows you, not really. Only you live in that secret place of your heart. And in a sense, as I've been speaking, I'm trusting that God has had his own things that he wanted to say to your heart. And it's come across. You don't necessarily need to tell anybody else about it. But he's told you so that you'll talk to him about it. Because he loves you so much. That's the only reason why a doctor tells you what the disease you have is. Not so he can laugh at you. But just take a picture of you as I was looking for another case of this. He says, let's talk about what to do about it now. And Jesus Christ believes in you. And he wants to take your life and make it something you had no idea could ever become. But that can never happen while the heart is still leprous, desensitized, uncleansed. So as you bring him your heart tonight, that you would say in your heart of hearts, Lord, you can make me clean. Change me. More than ever before, let this season of Easter be the best ever. And as God stretches out his hand to you, it's not to slap you, to spank you, it's to stroke your face to touch your hair, to tell you I love you so much. I've been waiting for this moment 
I've been waiting for you to come. I've been waiting for you to admit these things. I've been waiting for you to ask. I'd be delighted to touch you. I'd be delighted to make you clean. Let's pray. Stand to your feet, please. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Picture the Lord being right here. Talk to him just a moment. Tell him what's in your heart. And now ask him to touch you. Tell him, Lord, you can make me clean. Right now. Lord, with all your faith, put your hand over your heart if you'd like. Lord, touch my heart. Lord, you can make me clean. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. For those that have never given you the heart, Lord, give them your heart right now. Bring cleansing and healing and hope tonight. Bring the joy of being forgiven, just as this leper was so excited, Lord, with this tremendous change in his life. We ask for you to do a tremendous change in the heart of each person that sincerely called out to you. And that you would flow into and through their lives for your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.